0: The reading is taken from Matthew chapter 5 verses 1 to 12. Now when Jesus saw the crowds he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him and he began to teach them. He said blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you.
1: Well, none of you need me to tell you that these are challenging times, and we're all learning new skills. In the last 10 days, I've asked a question in the House of Commons from my front room in Plimpton roughly 236 miles away. Conduct meetings every day by things called Zoom and Microsoft Teams, which I'd never even heard of two months ago. And last week I voted from this very office in the first ever virtual vote in the Commons. So you can teach an old dog new tricks. And in challenging times, we all feel the need to reconnect with our anchor points. I can well remember on 9-11, when the aeroplanes brought down the Twin Towers, I was at Westminster, The first thing I felt I had to do was to ring my wife Jan. We needed to share that moment of crisis together. We said a prayer together over the phone, Lord have mercy upon us. And within an hour, both of our children at university had been on the phone. The need to connect to our anchor points in a crisis is a very human reaction, which is why during this crisis, we all need to stay close to God and reconnect with the gospel. Scrape away the froth and go back to basic principles. And the Sermon on the Mount helps us to do precisely that. And verse six in particular is what I would like to speak about. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. They will be filled. Righteousness is not a word that you bandy around in everyday conversation. And perhaps you might even think it's these days an old fashioned word, but it's an important word. Righteousness, it means being right with God, accepted by God, approved of by God, in right relationship with God, being right with God. In all of us, there is a need for approval. I lost my dad earlier this year, and I've been thinking about him a lot in recent weeks. He always affirmed and encouraged me, and I now know, looking back, that I needed his approval. I remember when in 2015, on a burst of euphoria after the general election, on the spur of the moment, I bought a static caravan, and it proved to be a colossal mistake. We never had the time to use it, and when I sold it two years later, I lost a shed load of money. I haven't even properly confessed all this to Nigel, so shame on me. A few weeks later, my mum let slip that my dad was less than impressed with my financial acumen, and it really hurt me. I was 60 years old, a grandfather in my own right, and I still needed my dad's approval. What's going on? And that's because within all of us is the deep need to be accepted and approved of by God. Maybe we might not even recognize that is what's gnawing away inside of us, but it is. It's how we are designed. We need to be right with God. So in this verse, verse 6, Jesus deals with this vital truth. He says that if we seek to be right with God, we will be satisfied. And there are three key points I want to dig out. First, we don't have it within ourselves to get right with God. Second, but we can get right with God. And third, when we do, the impact is great. First then, we don't have it within us. Jesus is saying that if you want to get right with God, if we want to get right with God, we have to seek it from outside ourselves. You don't hunger and thirst for something you already have, do you? You hunger for something you don't have. And we do not have within ourselves the ability to get right with God. Now, as we know, Christians come in all shapes and sizes and we're all at a different place on our journey with God, different seasons, different places. There's a massive theological spectrum with liberal small-l-inclusivists on the one hand and conservative small-c evangelicals on the other, and all shades in between. Some people seem to believe that we do not need to get right with God, that everyone is in. And that's certainly not what Jesus taught. Others tend to believe that that to get right with God, you need to do that through your own moral performance. And that's not the gospel either. Paul puts it very starkly in in Galatians 2, verse 21. For if righteousness could be obtained through the law, Christ died for nothing. If me obeying the law was good enough to get right with God, why did Jesus have to die? Utterly pointless exercise. But friends, even in our churches today, we are surrounded by people who think that their moral performance is what counts. And it isn't. My niceness is not the way, the truth, and the life. My middle-classness is not the narrow gate. My hard work and hours of service do not make me right with God. I was not born right with God, and nor were you. As it happens, I wasn't brought up in a Christian household, but even if I was, I would not have been right with God. We are born into selfishness and sin that's wrecked mankind from the very beginning. Some people think that if we just have better laws, better technology, better politicians, we would solve the problems of this world. But every generation comes and goes and levels of human misery continue. And this is because the problem with the world is our human nature, our selfishness and sin. I am the problem with the world. Now I've kept a spiritual journey since the mid 1980s. And when I look back on some of the early entries now, let's say, the first 20 years after I came to Christ, a word that jumps out of the page at me, striving. I was striving to please God. Yes, I believe he called me into politics. Yes, I feel I obeyed and answered the call. But every page, virtually every entry now looking back, oozes with me, striving to serve him, striving to please him, to obey him. It's just stressful to read it, let alone what it must have been like to have been around me at the time. So gradually I came to see that the heart of the gospel is not about my efforts, but all about what Jesus has done. We don't have it within ourselves, the ability to get right with God. Second point, and more briefly, but we can get right with God. Imagine that you're hauled up before the judge guilty as charged. The judge pronounces your guilt, and just before you're taken down to the cells, Face your punishment, he takes off his wig, puts down his gavel, and leaps over the bench and says, Let the prisoner go. I have chosen to take his punishment myself, he may go free. How does it work? Why does faith in Christ work? One of my favorite Bible passages is Isaiah 51, verses 1 and 2. And I wonder if I might read this to you. Listen to me, you who pursue righteousness and who seek the Lord. Look to the rock. From which you were cut, and to the quarry from which you were hewn. Look to Abraham your father, and to Sarah who gave you birth. When I called him he was only one man, and I blessed him and made him many. Recognize the language, you who seek righteousness. So I go back to this passage again and again, whenever I get myself confused or muddled as a Christian, back to first principles. Why in Isaiah are we signposted to Abraham? Well, what does Romans 4 say about him? It says this, Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. Did Abraham get right with God through his works or even his obedience? No, it was because he believed. Even when he was tested and told to sacrifice his son Isaac, he says this in Genesis 22, God himself will provide the lamb for the offering. And so God did, both then and 2,000 years later, when he sent Jesus to die for our sins. So God came himself, in the form of his son Jesus, to live a perfect sinless life, to choose to die for us. In other words, like the judge in my little story, to take our punishment for us. So the record of Jesus, his moral performance, is substituted for ours when we place our trust in him. And that's it. That's how it works. We are accepted by God, not because of my own worth or deeds, but because Jesus has taken my place. When God looks at me, he sees Jesus. And so I am right with God. All we have to do is to believe, like Abraham did. So I cannot get right with God by obeying the rules, but I can get right with him through faith in Christ. Then thirdly and finally, the impact when we get right with God. Jesus says, those who hunger and thirst for righteousness will be filled. That sounds good, doesn't it? But filled with what? Filled with the Holy Spirit. Yes, filled with the Holy Spirit. Ephesians tells us that when we come to Christ, we receive a deposit of the Holy Spirit to help us draw closer to God. Filled with love and joy. Yes, filled with love and joy. I can remember when I first placed my trust In Christ, in June 1979, that night in bed, I sang choruses for hours. I couldn't sleep. I was so excited. I had found purpose and meaning for my life, and I overflowed with joy. But I'll tell you what else we are filled with. Potential. Potential to live the life God intended us to live. To love him and each other and to do good works. Not to earn our salvation. Not striving to please him but out of a heart overflowing with gratitude. Potential to become more like Jesus, to change, always changing, becoming more full of love, patience, gentleness, kindness. Is that your experience? Are you changing? Even in this crisis, maybe because of this crisis, we have the potential to start a new chapter in our life, more time with God in prayer deeper Bible study, more time with the family, better self-discipline, new habits that we can learn. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness for they will be filled and in the midst of this dreadful crisis. This is very good news indeed. Thank you.